With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Great conversation today with Peter Milligan. Peter, you know from his wonderful work on Ecstatic, X-Force, Shade the Changing Man. Uh, He was the original creator on Justice League Dark. Uh, He did wonderful runs at uh, Vertigo on not only Shade, but of course Human Target and Greek Streets. In fact, Greek Streets is the last project I got to talk to Peter about. Really excited to talk to him today. Not only about uh, some interesting things he has going on at IDW, Kid Lobotomy, part of the Black Crown series, and Britannia from Valiant. Our, Our main focus is on The Prisoner from Titan Publishing. Uh, Really excited to see The Prisoner back in comics. It was one of my absolute favorite shows from the 1960s, and I think it continues to be a fascinating subject. Uh, Ideas of freedom in a society, the rights of an individual in a society, and uh, the espionage pursuit of information. Part of the themes that make The Prisoner the special adventure show that it was and continues to be. I think people still study it and are fascinated by it. Seems like Peter is fascinated by The Prisoner, given his uh, reboot and new story with a new protagonist entering the mysterious village. Great conversation with Peter Milligan on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There are great deals going on at InStock Trades, and we'll talk about them midpoint during the show. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Comics Experience. Comics Experience, the world's most respected online comic book university, is proud to launch a line of screenwriting and animation courses. They have a kickoff event coming this Saturday with Georgia Lee, writer of all three seasons of Sci-Fi's The Expanse. You'll want to go there to check out the Master Seminar with Georgia Lee. Details are at comicsexperience.com slash course slash Master Seminar Georgia Lee Writing for Television. You'll see it there on the front page. And you can click on the course to get the full details to enroll. The Master Seminar with Georgia Lee Writing for Television event will be online. It'll be held live on Saturday. If you can't attend, you'll be provided a recording if you're registered before the event begins. Again, the event will be on this Saturday, May 12th. Georgia will peel back the curtain on what it's like to work in a television show's writing room based on her experiences working on The Expanse. Don't forget, it's this Saturday, and you'll want to tune in. Because the great thing about the Comics Experience courses is they have that Robert McKee story kind of feel to them. They are interactive. You are able to ask questions. And I think uh, the seminar is long enough to provide lots of time uh, between uh, the students and Georgia. I think this is a great opportunity. I know that the other master seminars have been invaluable to aspiring artists and writers. And here's a chance to really get in the nitty-gritty of writing for television and animation with Georgia Lee. The Master Seminar is this Saturday, May 12th, so time is wasting. You can enroll online at comicsexperience.com. Check out all of Comics Experience's screenwriting and animation courses on the website. And don't forget to sign up for the newsletter when you stop by. And you can follow Comics Experience on Twitter at at Comic Experience. That's a C-O-M-I-C experience. Comic experience at uh, Twitter. 
That's their Twitter handle. But uh, check it out. Go to comicsexperience.com. All right, without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Peter Milligan, talking about Human Target, Britannia, his very excellent Valiant series featuring a Roman detective uh, solving crimes, and, uh, of course, very excited about the return of The Prisoner. Here's Peter Milligan now on Word Balloon. Peter Milligan, welcome to Word Balloon. You know, years ago, when your Greek Streets series for Vertigo was just getting started, we did a video interview in New York for Newsarama. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So this was like 10 or 11 years ago, easily. Okay. But uh, that's the first time I ever spoke to you. So, and I'm sure in, in the you know hundreds of interviews, and I'm sure you've done since, that's that's not even a memory. But I'm I'm happy to have you now to uh, speak. Was that was that was that a good interview, uh, John? I thought so. It was it was short, and it was really only about Greek streets because we were doing video. So it was even less than ten minutes. But it was a pleasure meeting you then, and it's a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you I, for doing this. Reciprocated. I appreciate it, man. And I am so excited for your uh, Titan Prisoner series that, as we're recording, just began last week. And uh, Titan was kind enough to provide me with the first issue as well. And I'm a, I'm a long-time Prisoner fan, Peter. I, I, as a small child, remember when it was a summer series on American television in, I want to say, either 67 or 68, because I know they, they ran it twice here. Yeah, yeah, I've heard, yeah. So, and then, of course, when it came out in the uh, public television, I was, that's, that's when I was more conscious and really, that's when it blew my mind, was probably in the late 70s, about 10 years later. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, still, I think it was still relevant in the 1970s, wasn't it? Because I think the, the 1960s probably didn't finish till about 1976. When, <laughs> True. Oh, when punk Culturally. came I think punk, I think punk kind of pushed the final bits, <laughs> the final dregs of our 60s away, didn't it? Absolutely, man. No, and and you're right. Well, you know, it does. The decade kind of did have a hangover into the '70s, and it, you're right. I, I I know it did in it here, uh, in in America and everything. So it wouldn't surprise me if it kind of did. And also the cult, the Cold War was at a it was at a different point in the '70s, but you know it it still felt familiar. And then McGowan, my God, with that acting and that writing, McGowan's fantastic. I mean, uh, he's just this is something. You know, some actors just have this watchability about them and their voice and there's something I would always watch um, Patrick McGowan Agreed and so obviously that was part of the fascination I'm sure I would I would think based on your writings leading up to this there was always a hint of the prisoner certainly in uh, things like one of my favorite series that you did Human Target Yeah well it's, it's interesting actually because in some ways uh, as, as as I was writing this episode of the prisoner uh, particularly when uh, when uh, uh, Breen, uh, I don't give to mean spoilers when uh, the guy who uh, will eventually if you like be the prisoner yes. he's uh, he kind of changed his identity uh, in his role of years and I said well, this is quite like a human target but I guess but actually you're right when I think about it one of the main themes of uh, the prisoner was uh, identity yes. who am I I'm yeah. not. I'm not another. And that has been a. That has been a. I think a posh word is the fancy word is leap motif, but that's been a theme running through a lot of my work, which is about uh, identity. And I was, uh, yeah. Go on, please, if you've got more. No, no, so, so I think that it was. It was interesting. I found myself writing this theme scene, which is could almost be human target, but, but I don't think it's that I was stealing them from the human target. Rather, human target was a continuation of some of the themes which exercised my mind. 
And now the prisoners also. I believe it. And uh, I, 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 it seemed like identity and information are the pillars of, of the prisoner, the world of the prisoner and the themes that, you know, McGowan was kind of expressing. And identity in society and where, where does the individual fit? And, uh, you know, can he, can he truly be an individual in, in, you know, today's world? And the world, uh, you know, it, it felt like science fiction in the 60s and, and probably, you know, obviously so. But I, I think as we reach uh, modern day, uh, society is becoming much more like the village than uh, than it was yeah, back in the I think I think I think the reason why uh, this prisoner, um, and I'm sure kind of like some people that really uh, liked uh, the prisoner, the original uh, TV series, really get off on this uh, this new take of it. But I'm sure some people are going to be disappointed. You can't please everyone, you know. And uh, and um, I think it's a different. Era. It's a different uh, time, sure. and I think, uh, and I think that the prisoner was a child of the sixties. In some ways, it was um, Franz Kafka, but seen to the prism of the nineteen sixties. Uh, and you know, I think that one of one of the um, one of the I guess one of the big issues of the sixties was that who am I? You know, who am I? You know, I'm I'm not this. I'm not my mom and dad. I'm not part of the war generation. I'm not. I'm not part of this capitalist military uh, machine, you know, I am, who am I? But I think the question has changed slightly now. I think now where we are at the moment, it's, it's just, I kind of was thinking, it's not so much now, who am I? It's almost more, what am I? What do I believe in? What can I believe in? What is there to believe in? And I think that's, so I think that somehow it's a different time. Obviously, it's very different from the 60s. We're in a much more cynical time, I think. I think we're a team we believe in less. And I think that the 60s was a real time of hope, even though it was full of Cold War kind of like terribleness and, and potential kind of Armageddon. I think uh, it's a very different kind of Armageddon now. It's much more unsure uh, now. And as I say, I think it's less who we are, who am I, and perhaps more uh, what am I? Where do I belong? I guess what well, you know, yeah. What, what, what can I believe in? What makes me me? Understood. And also, I like the position of the village in your story because I think that has changed as well. And I think uh, uh, there's almost an acceptance of all the uh, sides of the various spy worlds. Uh, our allies and our enemies all seem to be aware of the village. It is monolithic in its uh, pursuits, which it was, I guess, in the original series as well. But but it feels more sinister uh, in th- that opening chapter yeah, that you've given yeah, so think, far. I think the village was always um, it was very hard to define in that in the original series exactly what it was. I think uh, what I'd like the idea. I mean, this this story um, o- operates in the same universe as the original TV series. It's just that time has gone on. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, if this if this uh, village had had taken, let's say, he was a spy, um, uh, n- um, number six, um, it's been going around for about like, fifty years. You know, this village. So it is an entity. It is a known entity. It kind of operates on the same kind of uh, playing fields as the kind of the major the major spy networks, except that it's different. Its goals are more uh, abstract and less easy to. Uh, pinned down, and its methods are also quite surreal. So, it, so its its goals, are, I think, are, are quite uh, fugitive, as they say. <laughs> I, 
beyond the series, you know, I, I remember, and I'm sure you do as well, uh, Dean Motter did a very, I think, good sequel to the original series in comics. Great graphic novel that DC released, I want to say late 80s. Shattered Visage, I want to say. And, and um, your series, would you say, is it, has it been 50 years as far as you're concerned with the original Village? Yeah. I think it's uh, uh, I think it's fifty years since the TV series uh, came yeah, out. Yeah. Not coincidentally. I mean, well, I, I mean <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know the yeah. timing. No, I just wasn't sure. Yeah. Uh, and again, because this the, the television series was for its time futuristic uh, and symbolic and everything, I wasn't sure if this was just ten years later in your Prisoner universe, or it really was. No, it's been fifty years, and it, no, I think I've, I think I've got it. I mean, in in the story, I think later on, I think, or maybe in the first episode, I forget. Uh, we do refer to number six. We do refer to someone getting out of the village, and I think the idea is that whatever happened in the in the whatever happened in the uh, TV series happened in this universe. Okay, but this is this is a different time. This is, uh, these are different times. One thing, one thing I was interested in doing. Always, kind of when I when I saw, I mean, even though I think it was strongly hinted that uh, the Patrick McGowan character was some kind of intelligence operator. Yes. Yeah, it was some kind. I think it, it was never quite specific. It wasn't overt, but it was strongly uh, uh, hinted at. I wanted to kind of, uh, if you like, draw the curtains away a little bit and and actually be quite lay our cards on the table and actually have this guy as this uh, spy, for want of a better word. I'm a real fan of uh, the spy novels of John Le Carre. Yes. He's a, the British writer, obviously, I'm a Tinker Tailor soldier spy. Particularly is one of his early novels, um, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. Yes. There was a, there was a fantastic film uh, uh, starring Richard Burton uh, made of it. But the book itself is an amazing book. If everyone wants to read a, a really excellent early spy novel um, with the height of the Cold War. And in some ways... I like the idea, I like the idea of the story beginning as if it was some kind of cousin, or if it, as if it had been midwifed by the spy who came in from the cold. The same kind of feeling, a kind of burnt out spy. The same kind of questions: what's to believe in? Um, and I like the idea of the story starting like that, starting as though it's this kind of spy story. But as our character gets drawn closer to the village and to this kind of strange orbit of the village. Not only does his life start to become more surreal, but the story itself starts to, if you like, change. In many ways, it's almost as though the village is altering the genre itself in which it's been, uh, in which the story is being told. And I just like, I like that idea. Interesting. Oh, that's great. I, I think it, uh, you know, again, I, I think it really does bridge the era of the prisoner to the modern day, and I think. Uh, especially in this uh, first uh, episode that you've already uh, put out, the first issue and everything, there's a, there's a lot of great spy action going on, and, and you get to know Breen, our, our main character of Focus, and uh, or at least the beginnings of knowing him on his journey. And uh, yeah, I think I think it's uh, it's great, I, and I uh, that's interesting because I wonder how hard it is to do a modern spy story but still have those classic tropes. Uh, if if technology, you know, obviously the the world of today is very much like the village. I remember when Alan Moore was complaining about the closed circuit television of the eighties, and that's what spawned V for Vendetta in his in his world and everything. And I, uh, you know, the vil- the village is a very well cameraed 
microphone uh, place in uh, in the uh, original series, and I'm sure in your series as well. And uh, you know that I I wonder how how much different the village is to again you know today's society and what we willingly so subject ourselves to. So one could argue that the entire uh, world has become the village. That, um, <laughs> that, that well, I mean, one, one of one of the themes I explore a little bit is is if the village is in this, is rather than a necessarily a geographical place, it is equally a state of mind or state of being. Sure. Um, these are all some themes I explore in it, um, but at the heart of it is this guy who is, or, or at least um, it would seem to be, he was some, he's some kind of a British uh, intelligence uh, spy or operative. And but you're right. I mean, to do a modern kind of modern day spy story, it's uh, it's tough. I mean, because uh, when when Le Carre was writing these fantastic spy novels, it was fairly it, there was a there was a kind of a uh, black and white. There was kind of the Russians and the, and us. Yeah. Now, in the in the intelligent, uh, sophisticated stories, it wasn't just about you know we were the good guys and they were the bad guys. And the carry was much too intelligent uh, for that kind of um, story. But I think it was much more about belief. It was more about both sides, if you like, get put, uh, muddied by the same water. And it's not about moral equivalence because I think that if you looked at all the stories, you would say that. I mean, I think that the, Mer- the Americans did a lot of bad stuff, and the British obviously did a lot of bad stuff sure. in the Cold War. But probably the Russians were willing to do a bit more, um, only because they didn't have to worry about getting away with it, because uh, they could get away with it much more easily. And I think that's probably why, you know. Um, but I think it's much, much more complicated now. I mean, just what we don't explore in this uh, story um, is the thing which makes the whole spy uh, genre. I think more difficult now is is Islamic terrorism. Um, yeah. In, in the uh, I mean, in the face of Islamic terrorism, there's almost like a nostalgic yearning for oh, the good old days when all we had to worry about was nuclear Armageddon. <laughs> but you, just, you knew where you were, you know. <laughs> Understood. No, you're right, man. And I've heard other. Uh, I think intelligence people certainly here in the states say the same thing about the simplicity of the Cold War, and you knew you knew who your enemies were and stuff. I want to go back to what you said too about uh, the whole world as the village. There's that great scene, as I'm sure you know, in I want to say the Chimes of Big Ben when Leo McKern, who was the uh, number two of the uh, of the uh, episode that time, having the conversation with McGowan, number six. And he kind of lays out his dream philosophy, and finally McGowan recognizes it and says, so you envision the whole world as the village. And McKern sure. says, yes, this is my dream. What's your dream? And he said, I'd like to be the first man on the moon you know, <laughs> to avoid such a society. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, – no, I, I get it, and I think that's, that's terrific, and I think that's the crux of, uh, of what I think the leaders of the village wanted, and clearly that's you know kind of what's going on in your story as well. So that's spot on, and that's that's terrific. And I'm a I'm a Lecure fan as well. And that uh, also back in the day, Greg Rucka and I have talked about uh, the Sandbaggers uh, '70s uh, television show, which I thought I was know, I don't know that really. Oh man, because it was yeah '70s, and I think it really was kind of the successor to the Lecure style of of uh, spy stories. And, huh. and I want to say, I, I believe it's, I know it's Ian, and I, and I, I want to say McClellan was the, or McKinnon was the creator, and I think it turned out uh, years later that he was 
a former spy, and he kind of disappeared under mysterious circumstances. M- mysterious circumstances might have died in a plane crash, but just as easily could have faked his own death and uh, kind of uh, went away. But uh, yeah, three seasons of really good kind of. Say again. He may be living amongst us. Yes, well, that's that's the rumor, I, and who knows? But uh, I'll uh, yeah, I, it's it's a great series. It's it's a really great like three three seasons of uh, of stories, and and I thought it was very good drawing room kind of uh, British intelligence uh, stories. I thought I thought it was a great series. Oh well, um, I must have been not watching television at that time, you know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, well, I'll check that out. I mean, I do like. I mean, but there is a, it is interesting. I think there is a, a difficulty for uh, spy novelists. That's why a lot of them, I think, they kind of go back in time because it's just so much bloody easier, uh, um, you know, with the Russians and and us. Sure. And that's why I think a lot of people, a lot of movies, go back to the war, the Second World War, because um, there really is no kind of uh, comparison because everyone knows the Nazis were kind of evil. And well, and there's no kind of black and white. It's not nuanced. It's not yeah, but we're both kind of evil. No, the, new, the Nazis were kind of a, a whole different planet of terribleness. Oh yeah. Um, so it's kind of so it's quite easy in that to have a moral imperative, to have a moral rectitude when you're fighting against um, Nazism. Well, this um, this this series is fantastic. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. If you no no no, please do because I was going off on a tangent. <laughs> Well, no, honestly, I I think this is a great start, and I'm very excited to see how far it goes. Six parts or five parts? You know what? It's a very good question. But I've got I've, I've got no no intention of telling you. No, uh, <laughs> I'd like to pretend I'm not telling you. I'd like to pretend I'm not telling you in some quasi village like mystery. But actually, I forget. I think it's five. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think there's a good chance I'll be doing another uh, series after this taking these characters and these uh, situations and taking them further. I hope it happens, man. Yeah, I would love no, to. I think, there's, I think there's a good chance of that happening. Excellent. Oh, great. Have you have you done a signing for the first issue already? Uh, this last Saturday, I did a signing at Forbidden Planet London. And that was excellent. Uh, really good. Yeah, the, the, uh, the reaction's been really positive. And, yeah, it's been really good. That's excellent. What did you – did you watch the um, Ian McKellen uh, – Jim Caviezel reboot that they tried about a few years ago? No, because I just heard so much bad stuff about it. I mean, I think I might have seen a little bit on YouTube. You might have found a little bit. But it just kind of looked a bit off, I think. It was off. Yeah, it was a little disappointing. And I mean, I appreciated that they tried to modernize it. Um, you kind of need the aesthetic of uh, the Blazers with the with the white piping and the... You know, the <laughs> I've got no problem with that. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think it's. No, I mean, I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's. Uh, you know, like with this story, we're changing an awful lot. But I think that uh, by keeping uh, some of the kind of the uh, the out the outer signs and the tropes of the village in place, I think that it still feels like the prisoner, even though it feels like a different time and there are different people involved in it. But I think that, you know, I think that. They wear these stripy um, blazers, and they they and there's a penny farthing in their bikes, and they, you know, that, all that stuff is a great look. <laughs> so why? I mean, it, it's not as though it's not as though it's dated. It was dated when they first did it. Absolutely, it's almost outside of time. Agreed. 
It's its own society, no question. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Did you go to Port? Is it Port Meridian? I want to say it properly. Port Meridian, yeah, I have been there, yeah, and quite a while. Not, not research for this time. I have been there in the past. I mean, someone asked me what I thought about it, and all I could think to say was, "It's really small." Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, but it's, I mean, obviously, it's an amazing place, but it's really small. So uh, you know, I mean. Uh, yeah, so I think they were uh, they were very uh, clever and creative with their shots and with you know uh, in the TV series to make it feel like this entire little world. It's uh, it's a very small world. Interesting. I the television show Doc Martin Martin Clunes I want to say is his name the the actor. Uh, they, yeah, yeah. Port Wen, the the place that 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 takes place in and everything has a very village kind of feel to it. And and clearly, I mean, it's another Channel Island, I guess, little little village and everything. But um, yeah, I, I, when I when I was first watching that, I was like, wow, this is weird seeing kind of a situation comedy set in the village. It, that's that's yeah, what it kind of felt like to I mean, me. Man, not all of Britain is like that. I mean, <laughs> I, I yeah, um, I haven't seen that show. I know it's Martin Clunis, I think. Clunis, thank you. Okay, man. Yeah, you know, if we don't get the trans, you know, if we don't get the pronunciation here, we're stuck with the. Uh, the words well, on the know, screen, so we're not always sure. But yeah, I don't think you know, I don't think it's a right or wrong way of saying that. But I think he he chooses to use uh, Clunes. Clunes, okay, good to know. Very cool. Well, we all know how to pronounce Magoon. That's the important thing. I uh, and it's, I love that name. It's a great name. Oh God, yeah. Oh my God. And every everything he did, man, he would you know he popped up on the American Detective show Columbo a handful of times, and uh, certainly uh, you know Braveheart. I mean, Ice Station Zebra. Uh, his his you know bigger so bigger true. roles yeah oh my god like you, you said did you get um Danger Man we it's did really, really old I think it's late fifties or something yes yes uh, love it I mean yeah I mean it was just like uh, that really had that Cold War that really had in some ways uh always always thought of Number Six as kind of Danger Man kind of character yeah John Drake absolutely man. well and you know I know that I mean really I I'm a I'm a massive Prisoner fan and I've read about the arguments with uh, George, and again, I'm going to probably murder his name, George Markison? Oh, yeah. yeah the, just the, the co-creator. And, and yeah, if you asked him, it was like, well, of course this was a continuation of Danger Man. As I understood it, um, McGowan didn't want to continue making Danger Man or Secret Agent Man, as it was called here in the States, because of Johnny Rivers' uh, hit song in the 60s. Um but uh, he didn't want to continue it, and, and Lord uh, Grade, the the producer of, uh... yeah, you know your you know your shit. <laughs> <laughs> you finished no, yeah, the story. I mean, You're the creator. Yeah, but but um, so yeah, so I think he he didn't want to he didn't want to continue uh, uh, Danger Man or Secret Agent uh, person. Yes, and uh, but I'll give you some of this, and it, and it really did catch the zeitgeist of the '60s uh, in a way that. Uh, well, in a quite incredible way, really. Yeah, because that's, I mean, you're right. Danger Man was such a traditional spy show uh, come, cre being created around the same time as uh, the Bond films. And certainly as the Bond films, I think, got going and stuff. They, It was this, you know, it kind of had that Avengers, Patrick Mimini sort of light, a, a little bit of lightness along with the action. And then all of a yeah. sudden you know, takes this left turn with the prisoner and there you are seeing what you perceive to be last year. McGowan was John Drake in secret agent. 
and and Danger Man, and now all of a sudden is in this weird psychedelic kind of situation yeah. and world. And it's that's the thing. He's it, it. That's what I think was great. And I too remember watching those Danger Man episodes before I started watching The Prisoner again. And it was like, oh my god, what's you know what's happening to this guy in this very weird world? It's funny when you look at that stuff again after having seen The Prisoner, you expect. Some suddenly turn up on a penny farthing bike or in Danger Man, or you almost you always expect some pre, some village weirdness to go in there. There was that one episode too where I think uh, Number Six tells a story of his time as an agent, and you even have a couple of the Danger Man regulars who would show up as you know uh, as as they call them in uh, in Austin Powers Basil Exposition, you know, a character that could come and kind of give yeah. a backstory. <laughs> And give the you know the informant that would tell the agent the, what's going on. I think in the film business they call it the explainer. <laughs> but yeah, that's I mean, so yeah, there there's even an episode of the prisoner that's very secret agent in its in its presentation. But again, I yeah, I've, dude, I've I've watched as I'm sure. Have you watched those McGowan, uh documentaries and interviews he's done where he has some, sat down? Some of some of them. In some in some ways, uh, John, when when I was uh, writing this, I wanted to kind of reintroduce myself a bit with all that stuff but I didn't want to become so I didn't want to become so so immersed in it that I felt almost behooven to bow down at the at the altar of uh, the village and bow down at the altar of the original prisoner sure. so I wanted to be able to use it use what I wanted but break free from it also understood no I absolutely man no and it's funny I just spoke to uh, one of the Marvel and, and uh, American writers Charles Soule about uh, writing for franchises, not just the Marvel Universe, but also he's doing a lot of Star Wars writing. And, I, you know, the, the constraints of what the Lucasfilm people will allow him to do and not let him do. And is there, what, what kind of vetting is there for the powers that be that own the rights to uh, the prisoner? Well, um, uh, ITV, was a, a TV company over yeah. here, uh, they kind of look at the scripts. It's pretty light. I mean, it's... Um, it's uh, yeah, I mean, they, I mean, I think I, I can't think of any uh, major stuff that they've had an issue with. Great. Um, I mean, what's interesting is they don't like things being too violent. And what's quite interesting is nor did nor did uh, nor did uh, McGowan. Yes, yes. Which, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, that's the thing. It's a great action show, but yeah, this is a guy who didn't want to carry a gun and didn't want too much sex in the. Uh... And they really, you know, yeah, wanted a family show, which is that came kind of one could argue that came from a fairly kind of Catholic family orientated uh, mentality. So even he had this very modern outtake, and he seems to be the certain way. There's also the other side to Patrick McGoon. Interesting. Which is okay. I think it's okay. Sure, of course, absolutely, man. No, it makes him. That's he's he was a complicated man, and I think he created a complicated series and a, and a bunch of complicated characters. I, that's great. And again, I'm glad that, you know, as a fan of Human Target and, you know, X-Force and Ecstatic and the various things that you've done in, in your time and, and continue to do, I want a good Peter Milligan story. And I know I'm getting that, at, at least uh, based on the first chapter. So very exciting well, stuff, man. Let's take a break here and uh, tell you about some of the great deals that are happening at our other sponsor today, In Stock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Great books at great prices and great books with the name Peter Milligan on them. You can get things like the all-new Dupe trade paperback, uh, a great book with Peter Milligan and David LaFuente focusing on one of the great uh, X-Force characters. 
Uh, this is uh, 42% off. It's just $9.85. Peter also had an excellent run on Animal Man. Uh, you can check it out. Some stuff from him and uh, Steve Dillon on uh, Trade Paperback Volume 4, Born to be Wild, 50% off, $9.99. Or you can also get uh, different uh, books like uh, Peter did that Vertical Crime series. or those great hardbacks, those very short uh, but very interesting graphic novels? Bronx Kill is there with uh, art by James Romberger and Peter Milligan. This is 42% off, $11.59. Or, of course, as you know, uh, we're going to be talking about Human Target with uh, Peter. And uh, the great uh, run of Human Target is also represented at in-stock trades at great prices. You can get uh, Chance Meetings, the first mini-series with Edvin uh, Bukovic and Javier Polito on art. Peter doing the writing, 42% off for that uh, first volume of Human Target, $8.69. You can also get Second Chances. Uh, which collects uh, the first 10 issues of uh, the Vertigo book. That was with Cliff Chang and Javier Polito. 42% off, $11.59. Some of the great uh, Peter Milligan stuff available at InStockTrades.com. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. There are tons of great books at great prices from InStockTrades.com. All right, let's get back to our conversation with Peter Milligan on Word Balloon. And obviously, Britannia is also, I hope, yes. I think, a good piece of medical, completely different and quite different from anything I've done in that it's it's kind of historical fiction. One could one yes. could argue, yes, it's uh, historical sometimes, but um, yeah, but I just love writing that. I love o- occupying the world and the characters, and that is uh, there's something that's really really uh, close to my heart, really. And uh, this, can I just have a quick plug? The new series, the new series that's coming out this year, I also like the way we're doing it, which is rather than just having it as an ongoing monthly series. We're doing a, as I get a story that I really want to write and, and an idea about this world, about this character, we're doing it almost, it's almost like a, an extended kind of a ongoing series. If we come up with an idea, we all want to do it. I quite like that, fairly more relaxed uh, way of uh, having a kind of a quasi-series. Uh, well, that's that makes sense when when you're ready to write a new story to, to do a new volume of it. And no, I, I've enjoyed the, the Valiant uh volumes uh, previously so i'm glad you're re- you know entering this world and i'm glad you've got more stories to tell in this world yeah i mean it's interesting the first the first one britannia was uh was set in britannia it was set in my, my neck of the woods and if you like it was set in the for uh, the furthest northernmost uh uh um line or boundary of the uh, roman empire <laughs> cold cold hot terrible um, the beer's flat and warm, and you know, <laughs> uh, you know so uh, so so it's all up here. There's there's druids. There's the then the second storyline was set at the heart of the empire, the heart of darkness, uh, in in Rome. It was about obviously about gladiators and about for like uh, Nero and the politics and the gods. So that was that was set right in the heart of the empire, uh, Rome. In the third episode, we if you like go further east, we go to another. Uh, Part of the empire, a different, a different kind of border, which is uh, around Egypt, and, it, and the story is called uh, the Lost Eagles of uh, Rome. The story focuses on, or um, yeah, focuses on uh, these, the Roman eagles, which every uh, which every legion used to carry into battle, and these legions uh, or standards in the shape of an eagle, from whence they get the name, uh, uh, were were much more than just a standard. Uh, to the Roman soldiers or the Roman people. They really were a symbol of Roman power and Roman indestructibility. 
they, they were held in, with an almost sacred awe. And when one of these uh, eagles were missing, as they did occasionally happen uh, in war, in battles that went horribly wrong, uh, eagles would be missing. The Romans would go to all manner of lengths to um, to refine these uh, eagles. There was there was one story when I read about Augustus. The story is based loosely, um, but I'll move the time, on a disastrous um, battle in Germany where Varius, uh, a general called Varius, lost a number of uh, legions and also lost a number of uh, eagles when he was, uh, when he was uh, attacked and, and his army was destroyed by um, German barbarians, so-called. And uh, there, was a, there was an image, apparently Augustus was so struck and so um, mortified by what happened. He used to wander... Semi, he used to wander semi-naked through uh, the imperial palace, screaming and crying, bring me back my, bring me back my eagles. And he'd bang his head against the wall, screaming, bring me back my eagles. And that, um, the most powerful man in the universe, in the world, or in the universe is then, uh, they're always stuck with me, and I've kind of transplanted that to our current uh, story in Britannia. Obviously, different emperor, different emperor, but... They still have the same kind of sacred awe attached to these uh, eagles, and some of them get uh, taken in a battle that got all wrong. Very cool. And then yeah. the, the, the detectioner, uh, um, Antonius Axia, is sent to find them. Understood. Yeah. No, <laughs> go on, yeah, please. Yeah, so it is, I mean, but, it, it, but it's much more complicated than that. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. Obviously, you've got this fascination with. Uh, original civilization, and again, it harkens back to your Greek streets uh, series as well. Is it that universal idea that even though this is ancient times, the the problems are kind of the same? I mean, how what what how would you describe your your fascination with these yeah, well, civilizations? The classical, well, one, one one of the things that interested me about say, the Greek uh, world was, I mean, as well as the Greek plays are just amazing. Just just sure the Greek the Greek theater is just completely amazing. And it still has lots to say about uh, our modern world. And in, in many ways, it's so much more uh, sophisticated and difficult uh, than the average Hollywood movie or the average movie per se. And um, uh, so that really uh, attracted me. I was also, obviously, one of my favorite novels is Ulysses by James Joyce. Sure. And he was, he was interested in taking what was uh, an ancient his, uh, hero, Ulysses, and if you like, Turning this this, uh, this Irish Jewish guy called Leopold Bloom, who's being cuckolded by his wife, and turning him into a modern version of him. So I was I was always struck and intrigued by the idea of of turning the everyday into the heroic, as as, as Joyce did in um, in Ulysses. So I guess that was one of my uh, entry points into the classical world. And then obviously I just read lots of Greece, and and you can't. Read lots of uh, Greek stuff without um, then getting interested in um, in Roman stuff. My, my first kind of interest and love of the, the Roman world came through um, I Claudius uh, yes. the novels. Yes, the, the novels by uh, uh, Rob, uh, Robert Graves. Yes, just amazing. I remember as a teenager just going through all the, the, the I Claudius books and just everything about it. You know, I guess the uh, the gods, the politics, the cast of terrible people. And it's just so amazing. Like, if you ever want to read a book where there are just some terrible people, <laughs> men and women, it doesn't matter. There's some men of them are really, they're wicked and evil. 
but in, but it makes for great reading. Well, and you know, shame on me. I, I of course remember the miniseries on television, Derek Jacobi and Blessed Brian Blessed. That's, that's great. I would I would urge you to read the books because uh, the books are fantastic. I should. I really should because you could tell the writing, and you know uh, that yeah, uh, the the seeds are there in the TV series. But usually, as as is the case with John Le Carre, you know, the books are always so much more satisfying than whatever you know condensed version we get either in film or television. Uh, but yeah, you know, and that's the thing. I love the fascination that everyone has now with Game of Thrones, and and I can't help but think that obviously George Martin was probably reading Robert Graves and and thinking along those lines. You know, even though that's more you know fantasy than yeah, he really was. I'm sure. Apparently, he was reading lots of about the War of the Roses in England. Sure, certainly. This constant kind of like one kind of person being disposed, and one one bit of a family pitched against another. And this is constant kind of a merry-go-round of blood and uh, and power grabbing. No, it's uh, yeah, very cool, man. No, I, and that, so that's great. So Britannia starts. Um, does it start this month or does it start in June? This is, this is a really good question. Oh no, um, worries. <laughs> uh, it, it starts. It starts uh, this year. Um, yes, I think it's uh, so late spring. So so I guess next month or this month after. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll make sure. I urge everyone uh, to to buy it because I think whoever liked the first series. It's, we're really happy with the way this one's going, and it, I think it's going to be fantastic. Well, and it's a good excuse if you haven't started it to reach back and get the first two volumes that I'm sure volumes yeah, are I mean, available as well. Story, yeah, it's possible to read this story without having read the first two, because sure. each, if you like, each story is a discrete case uh, that yes. uh, the, the detection after. But I think one gets more, one might have a deeper understanding of the characters, the situations, if you've read the first two. Understood. So. Peter, when you're when you're you know kind of dealing with these things, I'm fascinated by the creators that are making their own new stuff, and then also whether they are or not, you know, coming from that background of a DC and Marvel background as you have, and and just the the plight of today's comic creator in terms of doing creator own material is is Britannia yours? Is it Valiance, and that you're writing it? How uh, like you know, are you able to? Generate creator-owned comics, or is Britannia have, how you're doing it? We have an arrangement. It's not. I'm not. It's not exactly creator-owned, but it's not work for hire either. It's, it's something in between. Understood. Okay, very much like Vertigo, I would guess. It's not dissimilar. It's, it's yeah. So I think if things happen, uh, we'll get cut of the, of the pie. Okay. Are you as as someone? And you're are you you're based in England, right? You're based in London, or correct? Yeah. Okay. Are you, um, you know, I had Pat Mills on a couple months ago, and I really didn't get into this with him, but I am interested in terms of the ability to do creator-owned comics, the feasibility of it uh, in in the British market compared to the American market, and how are you doing uh, in terms of, you know, do you want to generate more of your own ideas? Britannia, I'm assuming, was your idea, and maybe you presented it to Valiant? Was that the case? Yes. Okay. And so, I mean, are you are you getting to do the projects that you want to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I really like it because it's. I, mean, I didn't have lots of ideas, and uh, and also things I like. Uh, things I like. Yeah, okay. Oh things yeah, I, yeah. Like. I dropped them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, this is. A, I'm doing this other project which I can't really talk about yet for a company I can't really mention yet. Uh, so yeah, I think there's. It's uh, there's space out there for me to generate these ideas and that's that's, that's what i'm really liking to do, doing at the moment it's it's uh at the moment it's really working good for me 
All right, excellent. I'm glad to hear that because, really, man, I mean, going back to, again, you know, things like Ecstatic and uh, Human Target and Shade and, and things like that, you've always had and continue to have such a unique voice in comics, and I, and I, and I love it, and I, and I want, you know, as, as, uh, as a reader, you evolve, and it's, I, I still love my DC and Marvel stories, and I think they're great, but I, I really have appreciated, probably because of uh, things like Vertigo and the other uh, publishing initiatives that have, have, you know, come since Vertigo, uh, it really has become like, well, now I want to follow the creator and their ideas and what they want to do. And, uh, you know, I mean, and some people, you know, it, the generation before you, I think the, the pinnacle was to write for a DC or a Marvel and, you know, become known as the Batman guy, the Superman guy or whatever. And that was like, all right, that's success in comics. Congratulations. But now because of Alan Moore, Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman and, and the like, and, and, you know, your generation as well, it seems like now, you know, we'll know what, what more do you have to say in comics as just as as yourself and the ideas that you wish to pursue beyond the recognizable you know characters of DC Marvel and the like. Well, I think that's true. I think um, this, I mean, there's a change in the business model, but also a change in. And I think that it's a, it's. A, I kind of feel at the moment the comics are slightly in flux. I think with uh, so many different uh, uh, medium. Uh, uh, you know, I think uh, it's 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 in it, there are interesting times, but I think that um, it still almost hasn't quite found its it hasn't found its new baseline. Understood. Yet, yes. So I think so. I think there's still a sense of like we, we, with some of, some of these kind of creator-owned companies, which are less publishers and more or pub, uh, platforms. Uh, um, so I think there's some. Um, I think there's some interesting things going on. I mean, I think, for example, what Karen Berger's doing over um, Dark Horse Burger Books, and, yes, and, and what Shelley Bond is doing at um, Black Crown. You know, um, agreed. I did, I did, I did Black Crown. All that stuff, I think, is fantastic. Um, and I think that you know, people with a strong uh, editorial voice or a strong voice, because remember, it's not just the writers; it's not just the artists. Always, like. I always kind of often choose to work with some uh, company because of the editor. I mean, who I work with as editor to me is really key. And, you know, whether you trust them, whether you can both decide you're working on the same project. Uh, you know, so I think that the relationship between the editor and the creators is, is still key. So regardless of what, what any of this stuff happens, um, it's, it's, uh, there's still a uh, paramount that you have a good relationship with your editor. I'm glad you mentioned Shelley Bond because, of course, Shame on me. I, t I spoke to Shelley about your series, Kid Lobotomy, starting off the Black Crown imprint. And, yeah, I, I agree with you. Karen at Dark Horse and Shelley now at IDW, too. I, I mean, two great editors that really had a wonderful eye and great taste in terms of putting people together to make books. I think that, and I think it makes sense, particularly as Vertigo changes and it becomes something... I don't know if it's worse or better, but it's different from when I was doing lots of things for Vertigo. Yes, yes. And that's okay. You know, things change, and that's fine. You know, and that's, I'm sure it's, it's not by accident they've made decisions to make a change. So I think it's interesting uh, to have, particularly Karen, who was instrumental in, um, in uh, defining the uh, Vertigo uh, voice or the Vertigo um, ideals. I think that it's fantastic that she's... I guess doing the same, but slightly different uh, dark horse. And um, Shelley also, I think, 
uh, I think she has very different sensibilities from uh, Karen, but um, but that's great as well. I mean, I think it's a it's a broad church, as they say. How are things going with uh, Kid Lobotomy? Are, are, you know, because uh, we done the first series. Uh, series. We always work to do one series. Yes. Uh, and then then have the tray come out, and then sit back and see how we feel. And I think we're in that position at the moment. And but uh, I love I loved doing it. I mean, it was it's one of those. I mean, it's, I've done lots of strange stuff in my past, <laughs> but uh, I think I think for one, it would be hard put to find anything much stranger. Uh, uh, but I always want I wanted Kid Lobotomy to get some of those really out there, really strange. But at the same time, had some heart. Uh, and I think that. To me, that's the real key. I mean, weirdness for weirdness' sake, I think, can get a bit tiresome. So I think that there has to be some uh, feeling and some heart in it as well to make me all have a kind of human connection with it. Am I am I remembering correctly that uh, in the early two thousands there was a Vertigo series you did where there was a rock guy that was smoking a certain kind of hash that was transporting him? Was it wasn't that yours? One of your stories, or am I thinking of something different? I think you might be thinking of something different. Well, then I, think, me. Okay. I think perhaps what you're thinking of, you were smoking that hash. And you were being <laughs> Are we on the record? Should I should I get real? <laughs> I just, I just. All good, man. No, that's awesome. I, uh, I well, I, uh, I do know for a fact that again, Shade was such a, a game changer of a, of a Vertigo series. And again, my see, my favorite of yours truly was Human Target. I was so excited about that it, it hit me at the right time because that's kind of when i came back to comics after uh the verdict the the image uh years and there were so many good vertigo stories happening in the 90s but i think most of the comic stories that in my area were dominated by the image books and uh, the vertigo books were there but i don't know i just i stepped away for a while and i, and I came back in the like 1999 2000 period and when you were doing Human Target and Andy Diggle was doing The Losers, um, that was really exciting for me for Vertigo. And I and I really I, I enjoyed uh, the original stories of Christopher Chance, but you really made it much more of a psychological puzzle that he was yeah, trying to solve. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I think I think it was Art Young. I think or, or, or no, or no, it was an excellent Alonso. I think who, who said who gave me some of the original stuff and said, Look, "Do you want to take this up and, and make something of it?" as you want, and I kind of thought, no, I don't want to do Human Target, and I kind of said the whole weekend after reading them, thinking, no, I really don't want to do this. Then I started to say, if I were to do it, I would do it this way. I know it would really be identity. But I was still saying, but I'm not going to do it. But if I was going to do it, it'd be this. Until finally, I got so interested in this, if I was going to do it, if I were to do it, I got so interested in uh, in um, this, this conjectured uh, kind of uh, idea of what I would do if I were going to do it, even though I'm not going to do it. I basically said, "Well, I have to do it," <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I'm really, I, I really, really liked working on that uh, 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 series. There's a kind of, um, there's a kind of, it's tinged with a little bit of sadness because obviously uh, Ed Bukovic, who was who did the artwork at the beginning, who was just so amazing, who uh, died really tragically. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, I mean, he would have been like, he would have just been a superstar. Because he was just the the earliest stuff of our uh, uh, human target, which is the artwork, which is so amazing. Agreed. Yeah, that first series. No, I understand, and I'm glad. I mean, Cliff Chan. Am I right? Cliff Chan kind of uh, came in after that, correct? Well, and Cliff Chan is not exactly a slouch no. either. <laughs> Clearly not. No, I've, I've Cliff and I have had conversations. No, and I've, I've told him too how much I enjoyed his 
his work on the series. But you're right, yeah, Vukovic was yeah, the original artist, and it was uh, yeah, pretty pretty exceptional stuff. You know, you created uh, for DC, and I and and much like Human Target, I'd be interested in hearing how uh, Justice League Dark started. Was that they're bringing you the scenario and the characters, or how how did it work out in terms of? I think, uh, I think um, the scenario we just, I think they came to be we draft with it. We kind of we massaged the scenario, but then the uh, the uh, the characters. I think we discussed and I put forward some characters, and and so that that was then a kind of a uh, 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 a, dis- a discussion, uh, a conversation that we had to reach to reach a final kind of like group of uh, characters. I mean, in some ways, I think that suffered because perhaps I was trying to write a slightly different kind of book from what they wanted, and that's always a problem, you know. Well, yeah, I, and, and honestly, I, I, it was more psychological and, and in, in a good way, a kind of more depressing book in, in, in that these were tragic characters. And I, well, that's what, that's what, what interested me was that they were all broken and they were yeah. kind of... Uh, but it interested me, but I was perhaps the only person in America who didn't. So, <laughs> well, so. I was reading it, Peter, honestly, and again, oh, that's... Oh, you're the other person, you're the other person. <laughs> and I think it did well, I think it did okay, but uh, look, you know, I think that sometimes you do one thing and some people say, would rather do something else. Sure. But it seems to me, if you choose me to write this kind of stuff, you kind of choose me to get a certain kind of thing. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's... And that's what I'm interested in, and, and which brings us back to which normally brings us back to Britannia, or, or some other later stuff, Kid Lobotomy. There was a kind of there are kind of uh, themes that run through my work, which I'm I think I'm interested in, that I'm good at, and weird identity, uh, that kind of stuff. And that's what I do, and psychological depth, hopefully, you know. So, uh, so I think that if you don't want that, don't call me. I understand. I understand. Is would you as would, are you done with superheroes or? Oh no no! I think okay. it's look. No, I don't think it's the case. I, mean, I think one could argue they might be done with me. But um, no, no. Um, I think it's just look the right time, the right uh, uh, idea, the right story, the right uh, vacancy. I think that absolutely. I think that uh, superheroes is still an oddly comic book kind of. Subgenre, which I think can still say an awful lot about uh, the modern world, maybe more now than ever before, in some strange way. Have you have you watched any of the films? Have you watched any of the television shows that have come in the last ten years? I tend to I tend to limit them to the ones where uh, Scarlett Johansson is dressed in tight leather trousers and running around. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's sexist. But uh, uh, some of them I've, some of them I've watched, uh, and you know I think some are okay. I get, I have to say, even though I work in comics, even though I read comics, I love, love comics, I kind of bit, find it a bit tiresome that the only way uh, it seems that Hollywood can make a movie of, is if it's a comic book. I'm kind of getting a bit bored with that. Because also, what really irritates me is the idea that as soon as it kind of get, a comic book moves into a, a movie, uh, then suddenly it's got grown up. Suddenly, now it really means something. But it seems to me that a lot of these stories, a lot of these characters... They work best in comics. That they were designed for comics. They're almost like exclu- exquisitely designed for comic books to be able to tell their story really well. And it seems to be better for the CGI, for the kind of billions of dollars spent in production. Comics still tell a lot of this stuff. Tell a lot of this stuff better. Agreed. 
No, I know what you mean, and I and that's interesting too because uh, yeah, they're regarded as more grown up because they're in the television and film mediums, and that's very funny because the 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 secret that the comic book readers know is that a lot of good adult stuff has been going on for decades, uh, and it's because of truly creators like yourself that I think bring. Uh, you know, a more adult attitude to to the the writing and also the artists as well. I love taking uh, people who don't read comics into a, a comic store today and uh, showing them the the graphic art that's going on because I think they're expecting you know Charles Schultz and Peanuts and uh, that kind of simplicity that they grew up with with newspaper comic strips and don't realize the the amazing artists that we have now doing things and and uh, showing them that. And then if they are interested enough to hand them a, a good writer to, to really, you know, read something and go, wow, this is something of substance. And they, they're, they're surprised. Luckily, we've got enough, I guess, television and, and film uh, executives that recognize the sophistication in today's comics. And I think that's why they want to translate it. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I know what you mean, and I agree with you. I think maybe something is missing in the translation. <laughs> To close this conversation, indeed, because I, because I have to. Uh, I would say that the the greatest danger for comics is if they begin to be perceived as, if you like, a feeder club for uh, movies and TV, and that all the comics are exist for is is to is to cheaply run out ideas so the comics so the films can then uh, take them over. I think the comics have to be comics have to be their own thing, and I think that the best comics really are. And, and yeah, that's my final word. I understand, and I will let you go. I appreciate you uh, accommodating my weird time schedule, and I hope you'll come back and we'll get a chance to talk not only about uh, maybe when either uh, Britannia gets started or whatever the new project uh, is. Let's, let's, uh, let's uh, Britannia out, and then we could talk about that. I'd love to do that. That'd be excellent, excellent, man, because, yeah, I'd love to, we, you know, didn't scratch the surface on Ecstatic and other things, but I also don't want to take up your evening, so... Thank you for coming on, and uh, no, good luck with... Uh... I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun, but let's do it again. Uh, when uh, You know, we can either talk about uh, some old stuff, ecstatics, and, uh, or we can talk about uh, Britannia when it's out, uh, the Lost Eagles of uh, the lost uh, eagles of Rome, which I'm really excited about, and I think, if, I think everyone's going to really love it. Excellent, man. No, we'll, uh, we'll do that. We'll, uh, you know, I, like I said, I know it's only a few weeks away as far as Britannia goes, and it'll be a good excuse to... Uh, have, have you back and, uh, and talk a bit more. But thank you for your time tonight. It was a pleasure having this conversation. Thank you. Fun chat with Peter Milligan. I hope you enjoyed it on today's Word Balloon. Again, it was brought to you by such people as the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your support of Word Balloon via Patreon. If you want to help the cause out, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon and subscribe to Word Balloon. Thank you very much for your help, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Great books at great prices. You'll find them all at InStockTrades.com. They do wonderful shipping. And uh, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll certainly receive free shipping. But uh, you're talking about books that are as much as 42% off, sometimes 50 sometimes more. There are wonderful deals waiting for you, not only from Peter Milligan, but your other favorite writers and artists. An incredible selection of trade back paperbacks, graphic novels, essentials, you name it, artist editions, all waiting for you at great prices in stock trades.com. And Word Balloon is also brought to you by Comics Experience the world's most respected online comic book university. They're launching a line of screenwriting and animation courses, and their kickoff event is with Georgia Lee, 
who has been writing on sci-fi's The Expanse. You'll want to check out the Master Seminar with Georgia Lee, Writing for Television. This event is online. It will be held live Saturday, this Saturday, May 12th. Georgia will peel back the curtain on what it's like to work on a television show's writer room based on her experience working on The Expanse. Enroll now at comicsexperience.com. Time's a-wasting. There's only a couple days left. And don't forget, this will be a live event. If you're not able to uh, attend live, you'll be provided a recording uh, as long as you're registered beforehand. And these are great, and I urge you to take the time and experience this live because uh, she is obviously available for questions, and uh, these things are really run in a very professional way, but also a way to you know make it worthwhile for the participants. You'll get valuable information, and I know from other seminars in the past, writers and artists have attested to uh, the real help that they got from uh, enrolling in these courses from Comics Experience. So check it out. Andy Schmidt is in charge of Comics Experience. Uh, this is a guy who has wonderful uh, cred from IDW and Marvel. He used to run the Marvel Cosmic line, the Guardians of the Galaxy and all. And Andy only chooses uh, the best instructors for these courses that also understand not only uh, conveying the information, but really being able to interact with the students in a positive way. So again, the Master Seminar with Georgia Lee, it's this Saturday, May 12th. Check it out from Comics Experience. Go to comicsexperience.com, comics with an S. And then uh, also you can uh, check out uh, them on Twitter, Comic Experience, at Comic Experience, to uh, follow them on Twitter. But uh, enroll online today at comicsexperience.com for the Master Seminar with Georgia Lee, writing for television event this Saturday, May 12th. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Thank you, uh, all you League of Word Balloon listeners, for your continued support. I've got another episode for this week. I want to keep up uh, the the good vibes. Had some technical difficulties last week, so uh, we gave you a bunch of uh, Word Balloon reruns to uh, think about our uh, anniversary, which is tomorrow, May 10th. How about it, man? 13 years of Word Balloon, entering my 14th year. Very excited about that. Uh, Have great interviews also lined up for the near and distant future and cannot wait to share them with you. So uh, keep listening, keep keep checking back here at wordballoon.com for all the information. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.